0: Let's go to Genesis 15, and uh, we want to, we kind of took a a brief break from some of this that we've been teaching on uh, and preaching on concerning our covenant, Uh, but we're back on a covenant of blood, and uh, don't forget, of course, tonight at 6 o'clock, Pastor Caldwell will be with us, uh, ministering again on ownership, and... uh, Again, we'll have observed the same format. Uh, We'll just uh, open up and turn it over to him and let him get going. Uh, This ownership is so important because it's not just ownership of uh, things where prosperity is concerned. It's ownership of our city. It's ownership of our vision. It's ownership of our church. It's every person taking ownership. And saying, this is what God's asked us to do. And so uh, it's, it's a very important time, a pivotal time. I believe that it's crucial for the season and the age that we're living in. Amen? So a covenant of blood. And we said there were three things to always remember. And the first is to always remember, I have a covenant. I have a covenant with God Almighty. And uh, that's imperative. Because when I know that I have a covenant, it changes the way that I view the circumstances that I may face uh, in, in, in whatever area. If I, ha- I have a covenant with God, David knew his covenant with God to the extent that he could say, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear because you're with me, all right? Uh, secondly, I have to always remember the Bible's a covenant book sealed with blood on both ends. The blood of bulls and goats in the front half. The blood of the Lamb of God in the second half. And thirdly, a covenant mindset's a requirement for strong faith. All right, that covenant mindset is constantly reminding ourselves that God cannot lie. He said in Titus 1 and verse 2, God who cannot lie, who God who cannot lie has promised. And so it's not that, that, that God won't lie. Uh, Or that God doesn't lie. It's that God cannot lie. All right? God doesn't and He won't because He can't. Many translations will say God who doesn't lie. No, God cannot lie. If you just say God doesn't lie, it implies that He could. But when you say God cannot, He's incapable of it. Oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. God doesn't change. He said in Malachi chapter 3, he said, the reason you're not consumed is I don't change. Well, Deuteronomy 7 tells us how he is. He's the God that keeps covenant and mercy to a thousand generations. So he doesn't change. Glory to God. In Genesis 15, and we'll start here in verse 12, this is when, of course, the Lord came to Abram. And he began to talk to him, and he entered into a covenant with Abram here. And in verse 12, he begins to make promises concerning the descendants of Abram. And it says, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and a horror of darkness, great darkness, fell upon him. And he, God, said unto Abram, know of a surety, that your seed will be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, ...and will serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward they will come out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they will come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full." And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Under your seed have I given this land from the river Egypt under the great river, the river Euphrates. So God is entering into a covenant with Abram, and he begins to make promises to him concerning his descendants. And notice, he says, number one, they'll go into bondage for 400 years. They'll go into bondage for 400 years. That nation will afflict them. All right? That nation will, will uh, uh, keep them in bondage. Afflict is to beat down. It it means to browbeat or to deal harshly with. So it's not just physical suffering, it's mental suffering as well. So they not only had to deal with the physical side of this, they had to deal with the mental side. They had to deal with the bondage uh, mentally that comes from this. God had told Abram this. Then he said that he would judge the nation that had them in bondage. Glory to God. Then he said his descendants will come out of bondage with great substance. Well, we know they did that. Psalm 105 says that they came out and there was not one among them that was feeble. And they came out with great prosperity. Glory to God. Then he said they would come back to the land in the fourth generation. And then notice something. God himself... Then walks through the covenant pieces and makes covenant promises to Abraham. Now this is important where the issue of I have a covenant is concerned, because God did not require Abram to walk through the pieces. Now we see that, and the custom was the both partners walked through the pieces. Both partners walked through the pieces and made promises. Generally, that covenant was based on mutual need. One party would enter into a covenant with the other party, and both of those parties had something that the other needed. A farming tribe would enter into a covenant with a warring tribe. So they know how to grow food, they know how to take care of things uh, where agriculture is concerned, but they don't have any weaponry. They don't have an army. They don't have any ability to defend themselves. So they would seek out a group that had the ability to defend themselves. And they would enter into covenant and say, we'll take care of you. We'll meet your, your agricultural needs. We'll feed your family. We'll take care of you. And all you have to do is protect us. Amen. And the other side would say, we'll we'll protect you, We'll, we'll take care of your family, we'll take care of everything militarily, and all you have to do is meet our needs agriculturally. So those were the promises. But then they would also walk through and say what would happen if you broke that covenant. If you break the covenant, your family will starve to death. Is that right? If you break the covenant and you don't protect us, your family will starve. Because you won't have the benefit of our knowledge. If you don't feed our families, you will have no protection. Do you see this? That's how it generally was. But God comes and he initiates the contact with Abram. God initiated the contact. In the very beginning, in Genesis 12, God initiated the contact with Abram when he told him to get out of his land, get away from his family, and go to a place that he was going to show him. Hallelujah. And now here, God comes to Abram, and he says, I am your shield, I'm your exceeding great reward. Amen. Abram begins to talk to him about how he doesn't have any, any, any uh, descendants. And God says... Isaac is going to be your descendant, one that comes out of your own body. And, and Abram said, how will I know this? And God said, now take these pieces and split them down the middle, the, the, the heifer and the ram and the, and the goat. And Abram falls asleep. Now it's more than just falling asleep. It says a deep sleep came on him. Amen. Amen. There's another man in the Bible that the Bible says went into a deep sleep. That was Adam. God put him to sleep. The inference here is that this was supernatural. God put Abram to sleep. And when Abram wakes up, God's walking through those pieces. And God's the one making promises. God's walking this way and that way and saying, this is what's gonna happen. They're gonna go into bondage, but I'm gonna deliver them. They're gonna go into bondage, but I'm gonna judge that nation. They're gonna go into bondage, but I'm gonna bring them back. Do you see this? He's walking one way saying, this is what's gonna happen. Then he walks the other way and says, but this is what I'm gonna do. And Abram is doing nothing But hearing what God said and seeing what God's doing. Now this is so important. Because God did not require Abram to walk through those pieces. Abram was not required to make any promise to God. Oh, hallelujah. God approached Abram. Abram was not the initiator of the covenant. God was. Oh, hallelujah. See, this is a type of our redemption. God was the initiator. God was the one that reached out to us through the blood of Jesus. God was the one that made the way available to us. Our part was faith and obedience. If I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, I'll be saved. Hallelujah. My part in my salvation was to believe what God said. Oh glory! Look at Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And uh, verse 23. And it came to time came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried and their cry came up up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked on the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Or God knew them. God heard their groaning. Notice, He remembered His covenant, and He had respect to them. He knew them. Based on what? The covenant. The respect was from the covenant. Because we know from reading the scripture that this group of people, this first generation that God delivered, largely did not believe God. At this point in time, they were not believing God. God came to the people of Israel based on the covenant that he made with Abram. He respected them. He knew them through the covenant. Notice, he remembered his covenant. He heard their groaning because he remembered his covenant. He heard their groaning and remembered his covenant. He had respect for them, not because they were following him, but because of his covenant. Notice, God took knowledge of them. He concerned himself with them. They're in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt, and they're not calling out to God. But God took knowledge of them, and notice, once again, initiated the contact. He concerned himself with them because of his covenant. The Bible lets you and I know something very plainly. That when we're born again, we come into the same covenant that God made with Abraham. Amen. Especially, listen, especially where our children are concerned. God will concern himself where our children are concerned because of the covenant that he has with you and I. Oh, glory to God. Amen. And that, that, that's why right now, ever what bondage you may see somebody in, ever what bondage you may see a family member in, a child in, someone that you love in, be aware that God is working to initiate the contact with them and to bring them out Amen. because of the covenant that we have with God. Oh, glory be to Jesus. Amen. He, God's concerned with them. He's concerned with those situations. Amen. I've heard people say over the years, if it concerns you, it concerns God. It's because of the covenant. If it concerns me, it concerns my covenant partner who initiated the covenant. That's what, that's the crux of this. Is that God did not require anything from you and I except to believe Him. All i got to do is believe God. If I will believe God, God cannot lie. God cannot change. God God is honor and blood bound to do what He said in His Word if I will believe Him. And that's why when you hear somebody say, Well, I was believing God and this didn't happen. That is impossible because God cannot lie and God cannot change. You will come out of whatever you're dealing with because the God who cannot lie and the God who cannot change is standing in covenant blood saying this is how it's got to be. My part is believe Him. My part is believe Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you see that? Well, I want things to change. Things are changing. They're changing right now because God said they were going to change. God, God said that was going to happen. Right now, the healing power of God's working in your body because He said, if you'll believe, all things are possible. If you will believe, it's possible. Glory to God. Do, do you see that? There's nothing the word says, impossible with God. Now see, that's not just a religious slogan. You know, you'll hear people say that. Well, you know, nothing's impossible with God. And they don't believe it. They don't believe a lick of it. It's just some religious quotation. Hallelujah. God tells you that for a reason. You are in covenant with a God for which or for whom Nothing is impossible. There's a reason the Bible tells us the state, the the state that Abraham was in, and the state Sarah was in that Abraham had passed the ability to father a child his body was dead that Sarah had always been barren and now not only has she barren but it's it's the the time of women has passed with her she's went through menopause her body is no longer alive to be able to produce a child but yet the bible says that god produced a child through Abraham and Sarah through one whose body was dead and through another whose womb was dead, it was utterly impossible. It's impossible in the day and age that we live in with all of our advancements, but yet in that day and time, the God that made a covenant with Abraham produced an impossible seed through an impossible union, but God did it. Glory to God. They say impossible, you say I have a covenant. They say it won't work, but I have a covenant. They say it's not going to happen, but I have a covenant. They say you're never going to be better, but I have a covenant. I serve God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. Amen. They can say it's over. They can say it's dead. They can say it's too, too long gone. There's nothing you can do about it. But you have a covenant with Almighty God. And it's not over until God says it's over. And God says it's not over till you win. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I have a covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have something sealed in blood. I have something that's that's stronger than death on my side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's so important. And God remembers it. God remembers it. There's things the Bible says God will not remember. But then there's things that God says he always remembers. And he always remembers his covenant. Psalm 89 says, "My covenant I will not break, and I won't alter the thing that goes out of my mouth. I won't alter it. I won't change it. I won't shorten it up." God doesn't say one thing today and one thing tomorrow. What God said, what God said to you years ago is what God is still saying to you today. He will not break his covenant. He won't. He will not. Glory to God. He told Abram, he said, this is going to go on for 400 years. Actually, it went on for 430 years. Because Moses got in the way. But nevertheless, it did go as long as God said at least. But notice something. God showed up. God showed up because He said He would show up. I hear people say, well, God said, if God said, bank on it. If God said, write it down. If God said, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, see, we believe that in the covenant sense. We don't believe that in the religious sense. Well, you know, brother, if God said it, glory to God. No, that no. When we say it's with a surety, God said it. If God said it, that settles it. I said, if God said it, that settles his end of it. My job's to believe it. I say, my job's to believe it. If God said you're healed, you're healed. Yeah, but I don't feel healed. That's not the issue. God said you were healed. God said your body was well. God said that that sickness was leaving. God said that with His stripes you were healed. If if, if you were, you are. And if you are, you were. God said it. That settles the issue. That settles the issue. Because God said it. And God cannot lie. And God doesn't change. So guess what? I believe God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's why the scripture says it's a familiar verse. But that's why the apostle Paul wrote, and you remember he said, Let God be true, and every man a liar. Ha, ha, ha. Glory to God. See, I have a covenant. What you see is not what counts. It's it's what it's what God said about my circumstance. Yeah, but it's not changing. Oh, but it is changing because God said it was changing. See that that's elementary, but it's the building blocks of faith. Glory to God. When somebody asks you how you're doing and they know you're facing something physically and they say how are you today and you say healed, blessed, doing fine thank the Lord and they look at you like a poor pitiful person. Oh I just feel bad for them. They're just staying positive. We're not staying positive. We're keeping our mind stayed on the covenant that we have with the almighty God who said I am the Lord that heals you. I will take sickness from your midst and not only will I take it I'll take it and I'll keep it away from you it will not come near you not one disease will come near you that's what I believe hallelujah glory amen glory to God yeah but pastor I dealt with that yeah but you're well now cause he took it he took it He took it, and it's not coming back. I have a covenant. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. I have a covenant with Almighty God. See, we're going to get into this in a moment. God, we'll read it in a moment. The Bible says that God did not reveal Himself To Abraham as Jehovah. That's the redemptive name of God. He revealed himself to Abram and Abraham as El Shaddai. The almighty God. Because he needed to believe God was mighty enough to do what he was promising him. That's how he revealed himself. But he told Moses, he said, I've not revealed myself to Israel as Jehovah or, or to Abram as Jehovah, but I'm going to reveal myself to these people Jehovah, the redemptive name of God they need to know that the God they're in covenant with can not only do great things I will redeem them I will buy them back I'll bring them out of slavery I'll I'll pay the price I'll initiate the contact and I'll bring them out glory be to God Mm. so God's concerned with us Notice this, Exodus chapter 12, my Lord. (laughs) I'm glad I came to church today. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Exodus 12, verse 29, and it came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, firstborn of Pharaoh, sat on his throne, and the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. And verse 31, and he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up, get from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. That fulfills the second thing God said. I will judge that nation. You can mark it down. If God said it, it's coming. I said, if God said it, it's coming. Glory already God, think about that. What has God said to you? It's on the way. It's on the way. It's working right now. Right now, it's working. Right now, things are shifting. Right now, things are being put in place because God said. God said. Amen. Years ago, ago, I trained myself in that regard. If God said it, the expectation has to come up, and I got to just believe that. Amen. Glory to God. Why don't you tell your neighbor, what God said to you is what's going to happen. Try that one more time. Say, what God said to you is going to happen. Now say this, what God said to me is going to happen. Glory to God. Glory to God. I say glory to God. It's, it's not impossible. I keep hearing that in my spirit. It is not impossible. It is not impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Glory. The angel told Mary, he said, the power of God is going to come on you. Remember, Mary said, how shall this be? He said, the power of God's going to come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that which shall be born of you, in you will be the Son of God. And he said, for with God all things are possible. In other words, I've never known a man... I'm a little little virgin teenage girl. I've never known a man. How in the world am I going to have a child when I've never been intimate with a man? And he said, the Holy Spirit is going to implant the seed of the Word of God in your womb and you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And he said, with God all things are possible. Listen to me. If, if, If a child can be born of a virgin because God said it That's impossible. It's impossible for a virgin to have a child. It's imp- it's a physical impossibility. It cannot happen. See, you know the end story, but look at the impossibleness. It can't happen. It's impossible, but yet Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. So God will tell you something that looks impossible, and it looks impossible to you, but you've got a covenant with the God who said, with me all things are possible. What's your response? Be it unto me according to your word. Glory to God. Amen. Ha, 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 ha glory to God hey that child didn't change oh yes they are oh yes they are yes they are because God said they were God said He would hedge up their way with thorns and they were not going to be able to turn back and go the other direction. That They were no longer going to be a backsliding calf but they were going to grow up like olive plants around your table. If They're not going back. They're going forward. They're not stopping. They're starting. They're not turning around. They're going after God. Because He said. Because He said. Hallelujah! My Lord, glory to God! Hmm. Ha ha. Ha! Hallelujah! woo If I believe it has to happen, it cannot not happen because of the conditions in the word. Amen. Hallelujah. Joshua 4 and 19. Notice this. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And encamped in Gilgal, in the east border of Jericho. Now, there's a lot more before that, but I want you to see, this fulfills the third thing God said. When they crossed over the Jordan, they were back in the land that God promised them. God promised, and here they are. Look, it took 40 years. Why did God deal with them? Why did God show them mercy, that first group? Because he said, I want to keep my word to you. you got to believe me. What would they never do? Believe him. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4 says they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hallelujah. Over and over again through this passage, it tells us about the God who stopped up the rivers. Who brought water out of a rock? Who defeated all the kings on Og and, and all these other men that were so powerful and so strong. And he says, I just, I just made bare my right arm. <laughs> Hallelujah. And look what I did. And brought him into the land. Shh. There's a parallel here to the New Testament believer. Galatians chapter 3. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, you just need to get your get your place ready. <sighs> because the same God that promised Is going to do it. It says he's faithful to perform it. Glory to God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? It says, if you belong to Christ, the Amplified, are in him, who is Abraham's seed? Then you're Abraham's offspring and spiritual heirs according to the promise, according to the covenant. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. Oh, hallelujah. Therefore, he says, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise or the covenant might be sure to all the seed. Not only that which is of the law, but that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, all the seed. The promise, notice, is sure to all the seed. The covenant is sure. When when he uses that word sure, it, it is stable. It cannot be moved. It cannot change. It is sure. When somebody asks you, are you sure? They're asking, is there any doubt? Is there any possibility this isn't right or you don't mean this? And if you say, nope, I'm sure. If you tell me, I'm sure I'm going to be there. I'm looking for you. Because you said you were sure. Amen. And you know right? And if somebody says, I'm sure I'm going to do this, and then they don't do it, you say, well, I thought you were sure. God is never asked that question. I thought you were sure. If God said, I'm sure, write it down, settle it. That's how it is. Amen. It's sure unto all the seed. We are Abraham's descendants by faith. The same covenant God made with Abraham applies to us. God's covenant with Abraham is the basis of our relationship with God. Everything Christ did was in response to that covenant. The blood of the Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus, was able to get into the earth because of God's covenant with Abraham. And the blood of Jesus is the most important blood. But the covenant God made with Abraham opened the door for Jesus to get into the earth. Hallelujah. Romans 6, verse 2. Oh, hallelujah. I'm sorry, I said Romans 6, Exodus 6. I want you to see this parallel. Am I helping you today? My Lord, there's so much here. Glad we'll be back next Sunday. (laughs) Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. And I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah, my redemptive name, was I not known unto them. And I have established my covenant with them. To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am your Redeemer. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Oh, glory. The Amplified says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, the redemptive name of God, I did not make myself known in acts and great miracles. So God reveals himself as Israel's redeemer. I am your redeemer. You're in bondage. But I am your redeemer. I'm going to buy you out of this bondage. Glory to God. Egypt is a type of our life before Christ. A place of bondage to sin. Everywhere you read in in the scripture, Egypt is a type of your life before Christ. Pharaoh is a type of, of the devil. Keeping you in bondage, keeping you in that place. But notice in Romans 6. You know, we could camp on salvation for the next two weeks. Because if God saved you, and he did, there's nothing he can't do. The greatest demonstration of God's power ever was when he saved you. Hallelujah. So there's nothing. If God can take you and make you a brand new creature. A species of being that never existed before. Ever. Then there's nothing He can't do. If God could take sin that He knew you committed. And act like it never existed. And not only act like it never existed. But in His mind it never existed. There's nothing God can't do. He erased your past. It doesn't exist. That's why your mind has to be renewed to the things of God. Amen. That's why over and over again in the epistles, you're told that you're righteous, that you're holy, that you're beloved, that you're accepted into the family and the household of God, that God is your father and Jesus is your brother. God's trying to get you to understand that when you were born again, you weren't just saved from hell. You were recreated in the image of God and not recreated as a patched up version of what you used to be, but literally from the ground up, made in the image of God. Recreated in the image of God. When you were born again, the same spirit that entered into your spirit is the same spirit that entered into Adam in the Garden of Eden Eden and made him a speaking spirit. When you were born again, that very same power entered your body. And just like Adam in the very beginning, you were created in the image of God. Glory to God. So if God can do that, there's nothing He can't do. (laughs) (laughs) Romans 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Notice, we were the servants of sin. We had no choice. Had no choice. Ever what time you got saved. Ever what age you got saved. Little kid, teenager, young adult, older adult. Whenever you got born again. The time that you weren't born again, you were a servant to sin. You had no choice. You had no option. Amen. It took an impossible act to fix an impossible act. It's impossible for anybody to not be a servant to sin before they meet Christ. I know that guy, he's very moral. He might be very moral, but he's still in bondage to sin. Because every person is a sinner until they meet Jesus. And then once they meet Jesus, he does the impossible. He changes them from sinner to saint. I heard, I heard a person say one time, you know, well, there are no innocent people in the world. You're looking at one. I'm innocent. I say, I'm innocent. Why? Because I was guilty, but Jesus became guilty for me. So I could take on his innocence. (sighs) I'm clean before God. You're clean before God. This this is so empowering. Because until you function there, you're going to have a hard time with covenant. God didn't save you because he felt sorry for you. He saved you because he promised to. Well, Pastor, how can you say that? Because, listen, do you feel sorry for somebody that brings their retribution on themselves? Now, if you do, that's that, you're different than most people I know. Right? Right? Listen, if you're talking to somebody and they got uh, their hand on a table and a ball peen hammer in this hand. And you say, don't hit your hand, because if you hit your hand, it's going to hurt. And they go, "What? Oh, it hurt! I don't feel sorry for you. Right? Hallelujah. God didn't save us because he felt sorry for us. He saved us because He promised us. He promised a Redeemer. Am I helping you? Oh, glory. So we were that way. We had no choice. Every successive generation of Israelite born in Egypt had no choice. They were in bondage. Every generation was born into bondage. Hmm. They had to be delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh. They had to be redeemed. And And it required the enactment of a covenant promise to see it happen. Hallelujah. God took Israel to himself. He took personal responsibility for their deliverance. What have I told you this morning that God's taking personal responsibility for your freedom? Hallelujah. God's dealing with it personally. Hallelujah. Their part was faith and obedience. Notice here in Galatians 4. I'm so glad. (laughs) I'm saved. Galatians chapter 4 verse 3. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. Now, notice this again. God sent His Son. God sent. God initiated the action. God started it. God did it. Do you see this? Now, some of this can seem elementary. But somewhere, as we progress in many people in their relationship with God... They think somehow God's changed. Well, in the early days of my Christian walk, it was so easy just to receive from God because you just believed God. There are people you know and I know that it took the church they're a part of years to talk them into not believing God. Because what they hear, messages like this. Well, you know, when you pray and you ask the Lord, there's three possible answers. Yes, no, and wait. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name. Is that what he said? Did he say that? Then where's the Where's the question? God is still the initiator. God sent his son. God took personal responsibility by sending Jesus, and he sent him to redeem us. If we believe on Christ, the Bible says we're Abraham's seed, and at the same time, we're redeemed. What's my part? Faith and obedience. What did God say? I believe that. I believe that. Amen. Try that out loud. Say, I believe God. God. Say it one more time. I believe God. God. Ah, hallelujah. Say this. Say, body, I believe God. God. Say, mind, Mind. I I believe God. Hallelujah. That's important. I believe what God said. Look at Romans 5. We'll try to start wrapping this up. Oh, glory. See, He sent Him to redeem us. Romans 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends or God proves or God shows His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now notice, notice this. God commends, Christ died. God proved, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. One translation says, when we were still of no use to him whatsoever. God sent Jesus, notice, to die for us. Now why is that important? He's initiating the contact. You'll hear people, they'll testify and they'll say, I'm so glad I found the Lord. No, you didn't. He wasn't lost. The Lord found us. The Lord initiated the contact with us. The Bible says that you can't be saved if the Spirit doesn't draw you. Why does the Spirit draw us? Because we have a covenant with Almighty God. Every person, now now listen, hear me when I say this. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. In God's mind, every person has access to that covenant. They have to believe. Right? So everybody on this planet will be dealt with at some point in time, maybe numerous times, to get born again. Because God has a covenant. He said said that he would pour out his spirit up on all flesh. It's important. So it's there. It's available. My response to it is the key. Now, we're born again. Our response to what God promised us and said to us is the key. What did God say? If God said it. That settles the issue. Why? Because we've seen numerous times today, God initiates the contact. God is so sure of his word that he comes to you and makes promises to you. Amen. God comes to you and makes promises to you. Israel was still in bondage when God came to them. We were sinners when God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to die for us and redeem us. They were not following God, but because of his covenant, he came to deliver Israel. We were not following God, but because of his covenant, he sent Jesus to redeem us. Hallelujah. And according to the scripture, that word is sure. It's steadfast, it's unmovable, it's eternal, hallelujah, because of the covenant that we have with God. Thank you, Father. If he would initiate the contact with us when we were still living our life our way, doing what we wanted to do, there's nothing he won't do. The scripture says this, it says, If God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Now think about that. Did he withhold Jesus? What's that? No. Then there's nothing he won't withhold. If he won't withhold Jesus... There's nothing he won't withhold. And the scripture says this. It says, who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He calls you his elect. He elected you. That's not election like a lot of people preach and there's just a few that God's going to elect. Everybody has been elected by God to be a candidate for salvation. Everybody. Everybody that's born again is God's elect. Everybody that's not born again has the potential to be God's elect. God wants them all saved. Glory to God. God elected you. God personally chose you. God came into your situation, ever what it was, and physically, personally made contact with you. Because of His promise. Well, if God physically, personally made contact with you, He'll physically, personally, personally make contact with the people you're believing for. Glory to God. I say glory to God. We're in a season in the earth today where there's an army of God moving in the house of the Lord, moving in the body of Christ to make Jesus Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Just the, uh, the other night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, in Mario Marullo's crusade, 3,000 people born again. I have a good friend that lives there, and they, they went to the meetings. They said the first night we were there, and they said there were so many people that came to the altar that the, the workers couldn't even get there to help them. And they said, I went back the second night, and I thought, well, you know, Everybody in Tulsa got saved last night. So <laughs> how many will be there tonight? And again, a full full altar, over 3,000 people born again. We're in this season where we got to stay focused on what the Father's focused on. And the Father's focused on the harvest. The Father's not focused on the political climate. He's not focused on the economy. He's not not focused on Republican or Democrat. He's focused on the harvest. I got to busy myself with what the father's, what he thinks is important. And that's why all of us, we have to evaluate the the things in our lives. Lord, when Jesus said in the book of Luke, he said the harvest is great but the laborers are few. Very often we just think numbers. Well, it it does. It means the harvest is great. It's large. There's much. But he said the laborers are few. And I found out something about that word few. It it can mean relatively small, but it also means this, in intensity or determination. The laborers have no intensity. Intensity. About the harvest. You know, if Jesus saved you, you're going to heaven. But I have a responsibility as a believer to my neighborhood, to those people on my job. It's not a coincidence you work where you work. Or that you live where you live. What God thinks is important is what I have to think is important. And I'm in this process that I have been in for some time. Lord, I'm evaluating these things because whatever is going to take away from my intensity, what God has asked you to do with your life right now in this season, that's the most important thing. You can get sidetracked in any number of things. But if I believe, if I believe God's called me to do something, if I believe that there's a call on my life, not just preaching, teaching, things of that nature, anything that God's called you to do, it's the season in the earth and it's the season on God's timetable to say, I'm going to get busy with what God wants me to do. It's not the season to draw back. It's not the season to stop. It's the season to keep pressing.